Welcome to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski, the show that highlights and celebrates the kinetic and potential energy in classrooms across the globe and why it matters. We're heard nationally wherever fine podcasts are available and weekly on the radio at Charleston, South Carolina's 1250 WTMA Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock. We're broadcasting from right here at our home base in Charleston, South Carolina. As I love to say, Robin, welcome to your show. Thank you. And let's get some business out of the way before we bring in our next guest. I would love to. So if you're listening to this on the radio, please follow our podcast, um, Robin Berlinski, or Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski, and share it with someone. And also follow me on Instagram, Robin underscore Berlinski, to learn about all the great things coming your way. Outstanding. All right, so this guest today, I have to admit, for full transparency, I have a long relationship with this man. So don't be surprised if some of what you hear is sarcasm directed at me. It's obviously not at you. But let me introduce Billy Kaiserling, widely recognized for his collaborative efforts to educate and mobilize community action for the common good. Billy is a Beaufort, South Carolina native. His public service includes staff positions in the U.S. House and Senate, two terms in the South Carolina State Legislature, and three terms as mayor of Beaufort, South Carolina, where he is still known as Mayor Billy. And just recently retired from elected service, elected service, to commit his time and financial resources to the establishment of the Reconstruction Era National Park in Beaufort. And and I know Billy. Well, first of all, welcome to the show. Well, thank thank you for having me. I I'm I'm I'm, I'm accepting having you, but I'm delighted <laughs> I'm, deli- I'm delighted to get to meet Robin because I've heard so much about her Aww, from you. Plus, thank you. The, 15 minutes we spent on the phone went by like it was a minute. So yeah, we had I'm a lot glad. to she talk about. She said 15 minutes, but it seemed like an hour. So <laughs> well, I, don't I did know. not. I, I was going to say, so two hours today ought to be a good, a, good, a good start anyway. All right. Very good. Well, you know, Robin, this is her show, and she brings in wonderful energy and people who make a difference in the classroom. And, and your story, I think, and Robin will fill in some of the blanks here, is spectacular. You're a man who has devoted his life to public service, and a beloved mayor is not an unfair statement about you and Buford. People wanted you to run for a fourth term. But you have this dream. Your legacy is something completely different. Please tell us about it. Well, well first of all, I'm dyslexic um, and attention deficit. So I see the world a little i see a lot less of the world than many people because i don't read words but at the same time i'm free to see stars that others don't see and how they connect because that's the creative side that comes with the dyslexia and the freedom that you have when you can't pay attention very long but um never really been a student yet i made it through college which people said I probably could, and I got my master's degree. And I got, I was always dedicated, largely my family coming from, from Eastern Europe, running from the czar, settling in the low country. I just have this, this moral compass that says, you know, we, we're here, we were lucky to get here, and our job here is to, to really make the world better for, for everybody as it was made better for us by those who helped us escape. But as I was mayor, I, I watched over that 12 years and really the four years in the legislature, I watched the level of conversation 
deteriorate. I watched the level of personal relationships between legislators, council members deteriorate. So as mayor, I said, my legacy is I'm going to be a consensus builder. I want to make sure we leave no council meeting with every member not feeling, excuse me, with every member of council feeling they weren't a loser, but they weren't a total winner. And how do we get in the middle of of this? How do we find the common ground? And so after being at 72, mayor for 16 years, 12 years, a young guy running behind me who was a, a protege and who I liked, I said, you know, now it's time for me to be free, to liberate myself for having to be the, the conciliator, the consensus builder, and, and stand for that moral compass that, that I developed that goes all the way back to, to Lithuania and being Jews in a place where they were made to feel very un, uncomfortable. And um, <clears throat> when you really get down to it, if, you, if I were doing a show today, if we were talking, I, 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 had, I, I would have one of those little prickers that when they test your blood sugar, they you know, just boom, they get a little tab of blood. And if there were a thousand people in the room, I'd, say, I'd get everybody to, I'd ask everybody to do it. And I'd say, hold it up and look around the room. And there's one thing in this room that is common, and that's blood. And it's all red, no matter where we came from, no matter what language we have, no matter what our gender is, no matter what the color of our skin is, whatever. We have red blood. And blood is life. You can't live without blood. And a flow of blood, we take our blood pressure, we check our blood sugar. It is a measure of life. And so if we share the most fundamental of things called life, blood, why can't we start our conversations there with what we share in common rather than the ways people have, unfortunately, used to manipulate and, and divide us uh, against one another? And so <clears throat> as I was thinking of the path towards, you know, how do you do this? Where do you find something in history? Well, I realized that the Reconstruction era after the Civil War was really maybe when this country was the most perfect in terms of the promises made by the forefathers when they passed the 15th, 13th Amendment, freedom, the 14th Amendment, equal justice, and many things that we're reading about and hearing about every day today, um, and the 15th Amendment, the right for men, not women, but men, um, a beginning, to, to vote and how freedom was won, and then it was totally stolen away. How the North and freedom won the war, but the narrative we've been teaching in our schools is it was a lost cause, that the 2,000 African Americans elected to public office, the six universities that were started by African Americans, the 90 independent schools, the businesses, that they were all corrupt, that they were incompetent, that white men wanted nothing but, bl- that black men wanted nothing but, to, but, but white women. And this whole picture was painted of how, it was, how a success was a failure. And it's not dissimilar today 
from the way history is being rewritten about about the the, the, the twenty election. We lost, so we got to claim we won, and we're going to fight that we won. But I, I don't want to get into the reds and the blues because this is so much bigger than those simple little labels or pins that we wear. They, they probably get in the way most. But anyway, so <clears throat> not being a traditional learner, I said, how are we going to train an army of 8 to 16-year-olds who have the courage, who are still sponges and soaking up, to soak up not what they see at home or it's with their friends necessarily, but what what they really are. How do they become who they really are? And again, going back to the blood. So when um, you say eight to 16 year olds, you're, you're targeting like third through eighth graders in this program? No, eighth grade to, I'm sorry, eight, eight, eighth graders to, to, to high school. Okay, so eighth so middle and high school. Okay. Mid- middle and high school. Okay, thank you. Because there, the middle, you're an educator, so you know this better than I do. The middle are probably the most impressionable, and they're also at that turning point where they want to rebel. So oh, yes. why not have them rebel about something that matters and changes society rather than about whether their pants are falling off or their ear is pierced or they have a tattoo on their, on their, on their ankle. <clears throat> but, but, but... I also realized in my own learning curve that while there are a dozen, more than that today, great historians who've been recovering these stories and, and telling, and Henry Louis Gates on, on public television done a wonderful job, but how many people really watch public television? How many people are going to read a scholarly book? We've got to realize that different people speak different languages. And so we're developing what I call an, uh, an experiential arts-infused uh, learning process. Let, so, me, let me interrupt for a second, though. You need to clarify, please, for those who don't know what Reconstruction is, I want your patented definition so that everybody is aware of this important part of history. At the end of the Civil War, it was Lincoln's mission to President Lincoln's mission to reunite the country, to put the country that was divided back together to reconstruct a United States that was very much divided. And so um, that was basically reconstruction. And you had formerly enslaved people with no resources, but people sell them short because many of the slaves who were brought, the enslaved who were brought here had specific knowledge. Talk to Jonathan Green and there was a whole group of, of West Africans who knew the rice culture and came here right here to the Ace Basin and made gazillions of dollars. They, they were skilled labor for no money um, or the cost of keeping. They were those who had experience on, on, the, on the waters. But <clears throat> during this period, great progress was made. Um, 2,000 elected black officials, um, six colleges and universities, 90 schools, millionaires, women who couldn't find jobs, but they knew black people couldn't borrow money, so they cobbled together their money. They started banks. Um, uh, Harriet Tubman, who we think of for her heroism and the Cumbria Raid, started a bakery to give the women jobs. She started a laundry business to give the women, to give the women jobs so the women could could participate. Um, 
And so Reconstruction was that period roughly defined as 1865 to 1877 when the the federal troops were withdrawn. Uh, In Beaufort County, um, it really went from about 1861 because the war started and ended right after Fort Sumter. They came to, to Port Royal Sound between Beaufort and Hilton Head, 77 Union ships. They knocked out the two Confederate the two Confederate forts, and all the planters ran, abandoning their slaves. And now, this they weren't free, but they weren't enslaved the same way. They were called contraband. They were personal property that had been abandoned. Some of them were absolutely brilliant. They said, well, I have this cottage here. It's, it's a cottage. It's not very much, but over there is all the cotton I was cultivating, it hadn't been harvested, and there's nobody here. And some of them just went went at it, and they harvested the carton, made a good bit of money, uh, and started buying land, which was very important at that period. <clears throat> but when the Union troops were withdrawn, there's the backlash. And the voting rights are beginning to be um, slowed down, the literacy test, the money test, the not a full citizenship test and physical violence to keep people from voting or to keep or burning of store of stores businesses the bombing of of Tulsa and many communities where you had black commercial districts that were were very successful that so that's the reconstruction period as, as such and i want to point out too i know you're working with middle and high school students but for those of our listeners who have a fourth or fifth grader, this is also part of the social studies standards, the South Carolina Department of Education social studies standards. In fifth grade, they do tackle like 1950 to 1980. And then in grade four, they, the, it's, there's a section called a divided nation. And they talk about the economic, political, and social divisions during the U.S. Civil War, including the role of South Carolina between 1850 and 1870. So this this is really impactful for those grades as well. And mm-hmm. I just want to ask you, because you talk about you as a student, and I love, you know, you have that back, you have that story of, you say you're not a reader, you struggled in school, and these stories, you know, social studies is about stories. It's, you know, I'm a former teacher, I taught fifth grade having kids read the history from a book is so flat and it's not there there's no connection and the stories are what bring them in the stories make them lean in and ask questions and want to know more and they they have empathy for the people who were struggling or succeeding and you know hearing you talk i'm thinking just how impactful it is for kids to learn this through experiences. And when you said experiential, hands-on, arts integration, like that, you're speaking my language. Mm-hmm. Um, well, see, so, I, I, be- I believe that if you, and you know this, if you put kids on stage, the auditorium is full. You put a professor on the stage, very few people come. So why not mentor kids to go dig and learn the story of the great-great-grandfather or the country store that was burned or the school that was started, have them be helped to use video, to use visual arts, to write a song, the written, the spoken word. It could be a rap. But have these kids in their vernacular 
begin to tell these stories or write the history in a way that they, their peers, and their parents are going to relate to it, unlike what the scholars do. You need scholars because they, they, they dig. But we, for example, have a group of kids today <clears throat> who are in Jasper County at an old plantation uh, that, that was owned at one point by one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence that after the war became a, a community, a small community of formerly enslaved Africans. Well, what a story. Uh, Robert Smalls is someone people have heard of, but do they really know that Paris Island, the Navy shipyard, it's appropriate that they, they, they just named that minesweeper after Robert Smalls because he brought the, Navy, the first Navy shipyard to what is now Paris Island. Um, you know, no one knows that a relatively self-educated black man is the father of universal public education. As we are today, of course, trying to dissemble it with vouchers and, you know, all the... All the but, if, but if we can get the kids excited, um, it's my hope that we will then get a fund to help them if it's a physical building, whether it's a praise house, whether it's a family house, whether it's a piece of land that the family's kept, help them uh, with, a, with a, ro- a, a, a rotating fund to fix it up, take pride in it, maybe open it up as a once or, once or twice a week museum. In some of these little towns that you drive through, you think there's nothing? You could give them an identity. These kids could learn the entrepreneurship. I mean, they could literally go from who was my great-great-grandfather to I'm now telling the story of my family and the town I grew up in. I love that. And that's what I was going to ask you is where it will be housed. Like if you're the kids, this work is amazing and where will they see it? So I love that idea of, of the museum. Well, you're designing this for classrooms. You're designing it for out of the classrooms. I mean, I have to brag about you for a second and make sure that everybody understands this. Robert Smalls, arguably the most famous African-American war hero to come out of the Civil War. Born a slave, bought his freedom, uh, bought the house where his master used to live. Is that correct? And fast forward many years later, uh, Billy and Paul Kaiserling buy that house with the hope of, of turning it into a, uh, a destination. A learning tool. I mean, this is, I know you may not even know this. I didn't know this. And, I'm, I'm in awe. Yeah. And who does that? So, you know, what was the inspiration for making that happen and where do you expect well, it to the go? Well, the main inspiration is that I figured it would, I had $10,000 a month to pay on law, to pay lawyers because the historic Buford Foundation is suing us because they say we shouldn't be letting the public in the house because they have an easement. Um, we live within their easement. But they don't like the idea of different kinds of people coming into the, this historic neighborhood. They don't like the idea of competing with the, their own house where they charge money or the houses where they have the tour of homes. So, but Paul and I just said, this is a generational opportunity. We have the ability to borrow that kind of money. We've partnered with the National Trust for Historic Preservation, who we plan on handing it off to. Um, and then they will then help make it with Jim Congressman Clyburn a part of the national park. But no one else could could move as fast as we could. And we just saw it as a generational opportunity. Here's a house with an incredible story. One of, one of the, the great stories about that house 
was that his the mistress of the house, his former owner's wife, with what we'd call Alzheimer's today, I guess, after he had been living in it for years, walked up the front stairs, walked right into the house um, to her bedroom. Wow. And she hadn't lived in that house for years. What did his family do? They took her in. Aww. They let her live there the rest of her life. Wow. I mean, that's the kind of... That's the kind of story we need to know. We need to know the story of a, of a gentleman named Rivers from, uh, I always forget his first name, but a war hero who was uh, enslaved in Aiken. I think he escaped. He came to Beaufort where there was a training camp for the Carolina First Volunteers, which were the black soldiers, first black soldiers in the Union Army. Um, and then after the war he ran, he served in the legislature. Then he decided to go back to Aiken, and he and a friend incorporated Aiken County, and he had a business. Now, the irony, and to show you the circle of Reconstruction, was that when he was enslaved, he was a carriage driver for the family. When he died, he was back on the street as a, as a poor man and a carriage driver. Wow. He had lost everything he had earned after serving his country in the war, after starting businesses, after incorporating the county. There he is in the same position he was probably at 16, 17, 18, 19. We need to know about these guys. And especially kids who are so lost today in terms of role models. Who do they look to? Do they look to the kid on the corner with the, with the, with the shiny navigator and the pocket full of crack cocaine and cash and a gun tucked in the back of their pants? Or do they know about and learn about the Robert Smalls or the, the, the George Washington Carvers or the, 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 the hundreds of people we, we don't know, they don't know about? And well, again, through the stories, not the, the timeline in a history book, but the stories you're telling, it's, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, so, so that's our mode. It, it's, it really fits, I think, very much with what you do. And in terms of the age group, We've, we brought in um, a, a, an educator who has started schools, who's been a principal at every level, has been a teacher at every level, has been teacher, the National Teacher of the Year, who started a leadership charter school, the best high school in the country two years in a row. He's done everything <clears throat> to help us put together our program, and we're partner with the Park Service. So we work with them. And... Um, so that this team today will be building what is called a network site. It won't be part of the park, but it'll be on the map. It'll get the roadside signage, but it won't be owned, owned by, by the government. So these kids, um, <clears throat> once we get the model down, you could do it anywhere in the country. And we could be part of building several thousand. Do you already have a website set up? Like anybody who wants to contribute, we, we do. Or it's, learn I'm, I'm, I'm a little more. embarrassed because it's not where it should be. Okay. Um, you know, I'm I'm a well. I said I'm, I'm dyslexic and ADD, and Ms. Well, you're Ms. not designing Ms. the website, Ms. Ms. right? Miss <laughs> Hannah over here is helping me organize all of my mess because I write something and I just save it on the desktop, and it's this <laughs> thick on the desktop. I have no idea where it is or what it is or whether it needs to be saved, but. The the gentleman that I brought in is 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 is, is an organizer, and he's now building a foundation for what I, ideas I've been developing for ten years. Good. And eventually, working with the National Park Service, we will be covering first 
this region and then we'll go further out throughout the southeast and then beyond. I'm taking this program so that anywhere there's any history, any teacher, we're building a, a what we call a teacher's, what I call a, a teacher's reconstruction educators network. And it's sort of the honey to draw teachers who've been trained or interested. The honey is that your teacher, you want to talk about reconstruction, you're not prepared, you're racing out the door with a cup of coffee in one hand, a coat in the other, and you stop at your computer and you punch in Harriet Tubman or you punch in Cumbie River Raid or you punch in any number of subjects. We've built this database that pulls from every, every, every archive in the country um, so that we can pull up quick stories, primary and secondary stories, so that teacher has a discussion piece without having to do all of the homework because it's complicated history. And it takes a long time, and I'll never, never know it. I'll know pieces of it. Well, you know a lot of it. I'm learning <clears throat> so much today from you. And, and then that honeycomb where they come and they get stuff, hopefully we'll have a discussion board so they can have internal conversations among themselves about the curriculum they're doing, the projects they're doing, and it'll have a student project board <clears throat> where they can show the projects that their other students have, have done. Uh, we call it Project Reconstruction now, but it's really a, teach, a teacher's learning center. And th- it's interesting because uh, there are a number of organizations around the country who are teaching how to teach reconstruction, but they're not following through. Um, there's one that's done over 2,500 teachers in a, teach- in a summer program. They, don't, they have a list, but they haven't communicated with them. And they've agreed that they would open that network up to uh, give us access. They won't give us the names, but they'll put stuff in front of their, for privacy reasons, but they'll put stuff out there. So we'll be, hopefully, the center where teachers, scholars, and parents, and the public can go to see what's the newest, the, the, the newest and the best, and, and who's doing what. We have about 60 seconds for you to tell me what's the end game here that's going to make you sit back, cross your arms, and go, yeah, we've really done something. We've really done it. Obviously, it has no end game because this will always continue. The end game, Ron, is for people to look at each other and not see them as red or blue, but to see them as red-blooded people who share a lot in common and who can start with a civil conversation. Because if you can start with a civil conversation, you can end with a civil conversation, agree or not. And that's really the end game. This is just my way of, of getting there. I think the skills side, there's a lot for students. The education of the country, there's a lot for students. But I really am driven to this because I want better, more active citizenship. Oh, my God, I can tell he was an amazing mayor. Oh, man, we miss him. And I don't even live in Buford. Well, listen, we've got to wrap it up. You're listening to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski. Billy Kosling, what a great guest. Uh, you'll have to come back and tell us more about what's going on in your world. All right? I'll Folks, we'll see you on our next edition. Stay with us, and thanks for listening. Bye-bye now. <laughs>